gone mad, hasn't he? Daddy's gone mad. Daddy's gone mad. Hello and welcome to Goblet of Wine, a drunken Harry Potter podcast. I'm Charlie. And I'm Hannah and we're two 20-somethings rereading our favourite childhood book with the added alcohol and cynicism. In today's episode we're actually going to be talking about the first film. Yeah, The Philosopher's Stone. So we've finished the book now and before we move on to Chamber of Secrets we wanted to talk about one of our favourite childhood films. Yes, we're really excited so let's get stuck in. We're back again. Yay! Charlie, tell the people what you're drinking. Tea. Tea. Guys, this is our first non-drunken episode of Goblet of Wine. We were meant to record this last night, but ended up so tired. So tired and so drunk. Yeah, that we had to go to bed and we're now recording our first hungover episode of Goblet of Wine with cups of tea. Yay! We're sorry. (laughs) But also... It might be different. You might like it. We'll yeah. see. Yeah, I mean, we're mixing up the format anyway because this is the film episode. Yeah, we're so. excited. So before we move on to Chamber of Secrets, we wanted to finish off the Philosopher's Stone kind of world by watching the film, which I've got to say is one of my favourite films yes. ever. Um, it has such childhood memories for me. Yes, and it's definitely the most kind of Christmassy, which as we're recording, like, at the end of November. Yeah, it, it works. Right. It works for this time of year. Um, yeah, this film has been out so long as well. Like, this was one of the first films I went probably went to see in the cinema. Yeah. Like, it came out when we were six. Yeah, and had it on VHS. I did, I did, yeah. Yeah, so we're splitting it up, so we've got notes, well, should have, I do, I don't know. I don't have many notes, I kind of stopped making notes halfway through. Hannah was preoccupied by quoting every single line to me and Neil, and we're just like, we can hear the TV, we don't need your impressions of every character, every line. That's rude, everyone needs my impressions. Yeah, okay, so the plan was was that we would have notes on plot, casting, cinematography, and how well the adaption was. Oh my god, your notes actually split into that. Yes. Wow, what? We really are mixing up the format today, because I'm the one with the organised notes. It's okay, I know this film so well, I could do it off the top of my head. So what you wanted to do first was give the film a rating. Yes. Like, a general, overall, what we think about it. It's so hard, because I like this film for the fact it's, Harry Potter and it's full of so many memories but in a lot of ways it's not the greatest film in the world. How dare you? (laughs) (laughs) As an overall rating, as a film, I feel like I'd give it a 7. Really? Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna go like a solid 10 out of 10. Uh, (laughs) Now I feel really bad. It's just like, if you look at like how... Prisoner of Azkaban is made, just two films on, this one is made so boringly. We're not being like our subjective opinion on how it is as a film, we're talking like our personal like feelings towards the film. Our personal feelings towards the film, it's a 10 out of 10. Yeah, it's a solid 10 out of 10. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, and I feel like we're going to say this for absolutely every film. No, we're not. Aside from Goblet of Fire. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then adaption wise. Adaption wise. This is an interesting one. It's probably one of the best adaptions out of all It is. Films. Like, I would maybe go like an eight or a nine. Yeah, like, I think I'd say an eight or a nine. I think yeah. the only one which I think is a closer adaption is Chamber of Secrets, but yeah. that's not necessarily a good thing because Chamber of Secrets suffers from being a bit boring. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a very close adaption. The things they changed all made sense to fit the runtime. I'm trying to... I'm, there's not much that they changed, which I'm like, damn, they really suffered from not having that. Mm -hmm. Everything that they... Like, the whole dragon sequence got squished together, but it made sense to fit the runtime and didn't, like... It doesn't impact the film. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a good adaption. Yeah, really good. Right. Let's move on to the overall plot. Yes. So I didn't write the plot down or anything. No. Well, I you feel don't like need everyone to. knows we it. We all know the plot because you just spent nine podcast episodes going over it. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> or unless we can't count, we think it's nine. We think it's nine. We're not sure. Hopefully, honestly, who knows? <laughs> We're too hungover. Okay, my notes are as nonsensical as normal. Oh no. Uh, so the first point that I had was right at the start of the film when they drop Harry off, as we know, to die freezing yeah. to death <laughs> die on doorstep yeah yeah was like Hagrid was wearing goggles and it's like why does he have goggles like because he's on a motorbike yeah but like where did he get them from because it's not his motorbike and Sirius's goggles wouldn't fit him because he's a giant Shh, not to apply logic to this film not that I'm nitpicking or anything don't try to maybe that's where logic. he was for the 24 hours he spent the first 12 trying to find motorcycle goggles that would fit him maybe Maybe. Because, you know, safety first. I love how, like, at the beginning of this film, especially how understated the magic is, and actually, like, throughout the film, and I think more of it is for budget budgetary and special effects reasons. Mm. But, like, if you think of how amazing the magic looks by film eight, like, that's the spectacle, looking at magic on screen. But in this film, Dumbledore appears by just walking out of some mist that's hanging around on the ground. Yeah. And then Professor McGonagall's trying, like transfiguration from the cat into herself just happens through a shadow and yeah. like none of the focus none of the action focus is on the magic which is actually quite a good thing because I think in later films they ended up relying on that too much mm -hmm. rather than they were like oh my god this will look really cool on screen but forgetting that the plot is meant to be the main point the magic in Harry Potter is just a supplement to the great plot and characters um, so them not having the budget or the special effects to do crazy spells probably works in their favour in these films. Yeah, and I think it marks a general shift in the film industry and, like, cinematography as well, that mm. nowadays all films are kind of about, like, action sequences yeah. and, you know, super showy special effects. Whereas, like, back then it was much more, like, understated yeah. about, like, plot rather than just being like, oh, let's do this thing that's not really going to make any sense um, but that looks cool on camera, yeah. i.e. Voldemort's death. Oh, Ugh. Gosh. But we'll get to that in later films. We will. <laughs> well, let's do a really quick summary of the plot then, from the top of our heads. They drop the baby off, then Harry is, like, basically abused as fuck by the Dursleys. And this is a bit that's a lot shorter, because the first half of the book is him at the Dursleys and you're getting to know the Dursleys' world. Yeah. Um, and although, like, you are given an intro in the film, a lot more time is spent at Hogwarts and building up that side of it rather than building up the pre-stuff. I yeah. suppose just because the pre-stuff wasn't exciting on camera. No, definitely Like, it not. wasn't as exciting for film audiences. And you can, through film... That's something you can do. You can portray a lot more, a lot quicker. So if they show a few shots of Harry being pushed around, mm -hmm. you ca then uh, can explain that Harry's been abused better than like Harry explaining for three pages that yeah. his life sucks and he used to not get birthday presents. Yeah, exactly. So basically, yeah, he's abused by the Dursleys and then he starts getting these letters, these letters which he's really stupid and doesn't just take into the cupboard. Yeah, the bit and the bit where he's like trying to grab one out the air and just sucks. 
Such a cool shot, and I'm like, just pick one off the floor, Harry. Yeah, get get one off the floor. Come it's such on. an iconic shot. I don't care, but also like, pick one off the floor. <laughs> exactly. Um. So yeah, he starts to get all these letters. Dursley, Vernon Dursley, yeah, just starts to go a bit mad. Decides to drive them all over the country. Ah, in the book, not in the film. In the film, they just skip straight to the oh, house yeah. on the rock. Yeah, that, See, that's funny. very true. The thing I find, I know the book and film so, so well. Whereas later ones, like, I know really well, but I don't maybe know the film as well. Because I've seen the films, seen the film probably as many times as I've read the book. It's funny how your book knowledge starts to fill in your film knowledge. And yeah. you often think things have happened which haven't happened in mm -hmm. the film. And I find that happening a lot with these films. Yeah. Like, my head fills I, in all these gaps. I get it both ways. Like, they just blur into one thing. Yeah, like, that's the thing. I'm like, when I read the book, I'm like, why didn't Dudley get stuck behind the glass? And I'm like, because that didn't happen in the book. Exactly. Books. Yeah. Oh, they arrive at the hut. And then Hagrid comes to tell him he's a wizard. Yeah. Which is lovely. Oh, you wanted to mention... Um, that Vernon Dursley doesn't just have a rifle in the film, he takes a shot. Yeah, he actually pulls the fucking trigger. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Like, um, wait. <laughs> Were what? you actually trying to kill Hagrid? Like, yeah. Well, just a casual bit of murder. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Stupid Vernon. Um, so he whisks him off to Diagon Alley to buy all of the things he needs for the school year, and suddenly, like, your eyes are like, magic, amazing, oh my god, because before this it's all been... Very dull and boring. Mm -hmm. And then the film skips straight to them going to platform nine and three quarters. Yeah. And oh, but before I... that, we have a very iconic line that we all really enjoyed. But Hagrid, I, I haven't, haven't any money. money. <laughs> no, it's how am I to pay for this? I haven't any money. We, like, speak like a normal human being. But also, being. like, it's not Dan Rad's fault. Like, why yeah. the directors go, right, can we make him say that like a child would actually say that? Like, that's the scriptwriter's fault, the yeah. director's fault, that's everyone on set's I, fault. I feel like they were really trying to make him very, like, kind of like old-timey orphan. Oliver Twist orphan, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, and I, I kind of get maybe where it came from because... The magical world is very like old fashioned. Yeah, but you could have just said like, but Hagrid, I haven't got any money. Yeah, and at this point he hasn't been in the wizarding world, so he doesn't have any of that kind of more like old fashioned influence. But I feel like they were just like, just kind of took that over in that old timiness over into the manga world and into the script and just really comes across as like, please sir, may, may I, I have, have some, some more? And like, but there's lines where they talk normally, like Ron can talk normally, but Harry seems sometimes to talk like Oliver Twist, like it's ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, do you know what? I just had a horrifying thought. Do you reckon if they like refilmed it nowadays, do you reckon at some point when their kids in the like first film or two, at some point like they would have one of the trio like floss or dab? Yeah. Yeah, Ron oh would just God. like be in the background like dab, dab. Yeah, dab. Ron would constantly be dabbing. Okay, they're not allowed to do the Netflix TV show of Harry Potter no, until flossing they... and dabbing. No, because if done. they do the Netflix TV show, they do what the film actually did wrong and set it in the 90s. Because the film seemed to set yeah. it in this no man land. It started in the 90s, then seemed to transgress into the mid-2000s quite quickly. Yeah. With no explanation. Like, the, the cars Time and the travel. tech... The, the cars and the tech seem to change within three years in the film. So that's something the Netflix show that we're all hoping will happen can uh -huh. rectify. So then we skip straight to platform nine three quarters. And we're all left wondering that if Hagrid arrived on Harry's birthday, which is at the end of July, and term doesn't start till the 1st of September, what the fuck they were doing for a month. Harry basically... Hagrid just basically abducted Harry in the film. Yeah. 
It's probably better than his summer with the Dursleys. Yeah, but and then uh, and then he does his stupid. But there's no such thing as platform nine and three quarters. What eleven year old Is knows there? that? That's Vernon Dursley who points that out in the books. Film Harry, stop! Why like, would you know? Why? why would you know about platform numbers? You've never been to that train station before. Oh. Yeah. Like I wouldn't know that at eleven. No. I would just be like, okay, well. Guess it must be there. It's kind of like the polar opposite of like Hermione's like believing anything written in text, whereas Harry's just like, like no, <laughs> that's not true. Yeah, it's so dumb. So they get on the Hogwarts Express and he meets Ron and it's very Ron, cute. Ron, Ron, Ron Weasley. Weasley. <laughs> then he meets Hermione and then I'm trying to speed through this. They all arrive in the Great Hall. It's time yep. for the sorting. Mm -hmm. They all get sorted. They don't get sorted in alphabetical order. They get sorted in what works dramatically for the film. Yeah, really strange interpretation of the alphabet. Having Ron <laughs> sorted and then Harry. Harry sorted. It's just like what works dramatically. Yes. <laughs> and it's all the important characters that we know so far are sorted in a row. Let's have Hermione, Draco, Harry and Ron. Yeah. Um, so then we move into classes and all mm -hmm. that fun stuff. The film manages to do something the book doesn't do. The book where it had chapters where nothing happened, the film turns it into really fun scenes of them trying to get to their lesson. And it, mm. it does actually make it a bit more interesting, I suppose, because yeah. it's visual. Yeah. You know what I actually really did like in this film? The excessive use of hair gel, which was just so off the time. Like, Dudley <laughs> yes. and Malfoy. Oh my god. Malfoy's just, hair. It looks like that wet look. Just so off the time. That's do you how remember boys when we used to do their hair yeah, in disguise? primary school? Yeah. And like, it used, but like, where I was, it was like every day. It was just like, you know, like complete, like, stuck yeah. right and up in the like, air it wasn't spikes. like wax it was like a wet gel yeah like a wet gel like oh my god and every single boy just had like their entire hair smothered in it yeah. not like a bit of like oh a li little bit of gel to make it a bit wispy and like keep it in place and a bit of a messy start it like literally like rock hard yep. shiny like it was stuck together with grease such a tangent but I just really appreciate that little like no and that just reminded me of a bit I wanted to bring up it was the bit I pointed out to you when in the in the speech when they've arrived at the school, when Dumbledore says, "Stay off the third floor corridor," there's you know unless you want to die a most painful death. They cut to the kids, and all the kids are just kind of standing there like, "Right, okay." And Harry's face, oh, yeah. like this is where like Dan's rad Dan Rad's acting is so much better than it is throughout the rest of the film. He's just like, I can't do it for the podcast, but he's just kind of going. Yeah. The fuck? We'll try and find or make a gif of it and we will tweet it. Yeah, Goblet it's of Wine so pod. funny when you see it because Lauren is standing there like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, death, yeah, yeah. Death corridor, mm -hmm. yep, yep, yep. And Harry's like, the fuck, man? What is this school? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Such a good moment. So good. So then they go into their flying lesson. Draco yep. baits Harry. It's kind of funny in these films that uh, Tom Felton is the best actor out of all of oh, them. Oh, so by a mile. So although he's the evil character, you're kind of like, can he have more screen time? Because like the others yeah. are just annoying me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, Overall, throughout the films, I feel like Draco should have got more screen time than he Oh, did. 100%. He, yeah, he was always one of the best actors. And, they and cut, like, even like plot-wise. Yeah, they I, cut him out quite Yeah, a bit. it did, really did do his character justice, especially... Like, in the books, he turns out to be such an interesting, interesting character. Like, so complex. Yeah, and, like, I was always, like, really grateful that there was that character that kind of, like, walks the line. Because yeah. Because that is much more realistic. realistic. of good and evil. Yeah. 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 Um, so, 
he has his first flying lesson, the rememberall gets thrown about, he catches the rememberall, <clears> McGonagall <throat> takes him to woods. This is the point where I just started like gazing at the screen. Oh my god. I thought I was gonna have to get like a little spray can of cold water and start like hosing her down. Ew! Like ugh. I just love staring at Oliver Wood's face. Okay. I just was very uncomfortable. You made You were me too into it. She was moaning. <laughs> no, she no, wasn't. Was not. <laughs> so then the plot starts to get a bit um, muddled in my head because I was drinking too much. Um, um, things happened. Happens. They did magic. Yeah, lots of magic and school stuff happens. And then it's basically the dragon bit. Oh, but does the troll happen before or after the dragon bit? Oh, the troll happens before. Yeah, okay. So uh, there was a troll and they fight the troll. Um, Ron is amazing. Ron is amazing, but Hermione gives him more help in the film than she did in the book. Leave it yep. alone, Hermione. Yeah. Film Hermione, Take for God's a sake. fucking seat. You are meant to be terrified. You're not meant to yep. be telling him what to do. I yep. do love the bit where they have her crawling under toilet stools that are being smashed around her. It's so dramatic. I'm like, yeah. Jesus Christ, that child's going to die. They're all so cute in this film. Like, Hermione so with her, like, crimped hair, which oh. is, again, just very off the time. I no, it's clearly not meant to be crimped though. It's clearly meant to be like this is what people with bushy hair look but like. But it's like you've used crimpers. Yeah, we you've... all had them. You've gone. You've got something from ba Babylus. It's a <laughs> miracle she didn't have like greasy streaks of color in her hair from those weird chalky things. <laughs> I like to think that like kids nowadays watch these films and they're like, what's up with everyone's hair? Like, just watch it, kid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So good. So the they're troll all bit. so cute. They are so adorable. We're like, going to talk about this more in the actors nose. bit. I know. Oh, their little cheeks are so small. They look like baby children as well. Like I remember when I used to watch this, and the actors were older than me, so mm. I used to think they look old. And now I'm watching, like, look at their little baby look children faces, Aww. tiny little children trying to act. Yeah. Anyway, we're blending over into the casting. Anyway. We are. We'll stop. Um, yeah. We would like to say this was supposed to be like a free. Um, yeah, we weren't meant to have a structure. Yeah, this was fine. supposed to be an unstructured episode. It's not just that we're hungover. Yeah. Uh, so Dragon Bit is severely squashed, but it makes really sense squashed. for the film. So essentially, rather than all the different going back and forth, um, Malfoy finding out through a note in um, Ron's book, they basically squish it into the dragon is hatched, Malfoy sees, they go back up to the castle, and we're going to go catch them straight away. And that's it. Like, yeah. That is it. Mm -hmm. It's quite squished down, which is why Ron ends up included in the detention scene rather than Neville. Yeah. Which is a big thing people get confused over. Mm -hmm. In the books, Ron doesn't go into the forest with them. Yeah. Um, so then we have the forest bit. We see some spooky bat person drinking unicorn blood. And I had a question about how, after he's drunk the unicorn blood, does he fly away? Like, it's if it's Quirrell with Voldemort on the back of his head, which it is, why can he suddenly fly? Because atmospheric creepiness that's why it just like i was just like okay fine. yeah why one one of the moments in film where they do start to sacrifice like sense for yeah. cinematography yeah fair yeah. enough yeah it's fair um I, it's a kid's film yeah and some the centaur explains some stuff harry goes on a rant about how the other kids don't understand because you know he'll come back he'll want to kill me he'll want to kill you blah 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 um yeah. the centaur cdi awful and then does it skip straight to basically going through the trapdoor? Is there anything that goes on in between those two scenes? Not that I remember. Not much. <laughs> so basically, it's through the trapdoor bit. Mm-hmm. And this is where... So this is where a major change happens that I want to talk about. 
So they, they go through the trapdoor, they land in the devil's snare, and the bit we just spent a whole episode, kind of 20 minutes dissecting the trio working together to work out how to get to the devil's snare, is very heavily changed. Yeah. So what essentially happens is, Ron and Harry panic and panic and panic, Hermione works it out. The way the Devil's Snare like releases you is a bit different. Hermione works the whole thing out. Ron is panicking so much that Hermione has to save him. Do you want to discuss this? It's the first major, major like Ron and Hermione change that the yeah. films do. It just all he does is sit there, go, <laughs> and it changed it from such a nice moment where they all share. The, like, yeah. the glory of working it out. The only reason why I can work out how, why they did this, which does like give it some leeway is in the books that bit they all worked out together and then they each get a challenge to shine in mm. in the films they chose to cut out the potion bottle sequence yeah so therefore they needed something for Hermione to solve on her own mm -hmm. so if they changed it for that reason I'm kind of okay with it yeah like she needed a chance to show her worth and if they cut out the potion bottle sequence potion bottle sequence then yeah. that was her time yeah her like shine. if she didn't have any moment then I would have been like well that's sexist yeah so it makes sense it's just like the beginning of, of, of yeah. a load of decisions they begin to make which really start to ruin the bills yeah and I think even like part of it which is a shame like because Rupert Grint is absolutely fantastic but in a way it shoots his casting shoots the character in the foot because he's so good at doing the dumb screaming yeah he is so good at being like, oh, and like the silly faces and the I don't know what's going on faces. He's very good at that. Yeah, he is. And I feel like they then started to tailor the role to that. To yeah, which, which is a shame because yeah. you can see in later films, he can emotionally act very, yeah. very well. And they really should have given him more of a chance to explore that. Yeah, it's a shame. It is a shame. So we then move on to the flying keys where we just have Harry flying around trying to get the key. Oh, but there's like a line that confused me, honestly, for years. When he's like, it's too easy. Like, which, like, I, I, I'm still confused over it. So he means, like, the broom's too simple, right? So at that point, they've worked out what Kia is, and the keys are flying extremely slowly. So what he means is, it's too easy if nothing else happens, because I can zoom up there and grab the key in two seconds. But... I don't know, because the way that he delivers the line confuses me, because he seems like it's too easy, like it's some kind of problem. No, like, he just means that, like, the other challenge nearly killed us. Why is this one so easy? I think. But then Ron's like, come on, you're the youngest seeker in a century. You can do it. So I I was always... Yeah, that, that counterline of Ron makes no sense, actually. Yeah, so I was always confused by what he meant... And then I was like, okay, he must mean that the broom is too simple, which kind of makes sense because if he's used to having, having an Nimbus 2000, it's quite a nice line then because he's worried that he's not actually a good seeker, he just has the best broom. And then he has to use this, you know, like standard issue broom and he's like, oh no, it's too... But it still doesn't actually make sense, the no. phrasing. Of, like, I just, like... But there's a, there's a load of there's a load of points in this film where this isn't one of those instances, but they keep lines from the book without giving them enough context in the film, so therefore they make no sense. Mm. Like the bit with going back to the bit with the centaur, the centaur's last line is "This is where I leave you," but in the book he says that because he's walked Harry somewhere. In the film he just arrives, saves Harry, and then says "This is where I leave you." Like, dude, yeah. you just arrived. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. 
Like, they do that a lot. They keep these one random one-liners. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, we didn't change it, so it makes any sense. Yeah. So I just always found that bit really confusing. It is, it is a bit odd. But I'm glad they didn't CGI all the kids onto the brooms because the CGI is not good enough for them no. to do that. Yeah. Um. So Harry catches the key, and then we're through into the chess room, which is such a good sequence in the film. Like, it's really dramatic. It is. Like, it's really well done. Um... We'll go into this in the cinematography, like into the practical effects bit, but there's a bit I want to bring up now, which I made you like, you look, look, for. look for. So when Ron falls off um, the horse and all the debris is flying, the clip, the final clip they used was actually a clip where a real piece of set debris fell and cut Rupert Grint across the face. And you can actually see the cut appearing as mm. like the rock hits him and I don't know what they were using as set debris I'm assuming stuff that was lighter than rock but it still must have been sharp enough to cut him they all must have been so worried but they ended yep. up using that clip anyway because it looks really good yeah but yeah they must have shot themselves yeah they were like <laughs> oh my god we've hurt this child yeah. um but yeah I just I just really like how they did the whole chest thing I think it looks really good yeah I agree yeah I also like the fact that in the film they try to cross the board and like the the pawns put their mm. swords up i realized sorry in the film they tried to cross the board i realized in the book they're just like oh we have to play our way across yeah okay then i'm like try walking across jesus at least give it a go yeah it's very much like that kind of reminds me of like how throughout the books they never try the muggle solution to things no like the fact that um to like skip forward into goblet of fire when Dumbledore's like, did you get an older student to put your name in? AKA, that would have worked. Yes, would that have worked? <laughs> well, obviously, or he wouldn't have asked it. Jesus. Um, so it's like, that's like the perfect example of how, like, wizards never, ever, ever go to the muggle solution, even when the muggle solution would have worked. So in the book, the fact that they're like, well, we've got to play this magical game of chess rather than trying to simply walk across. But that's one of the, my favourite scenes that they then make a joke of in Fantastic Beasts where they're trying to get in Graves' office and, like, she's trying Alohomora, other yeah, spell, other then, spell, and Jacob yeah. just kicks it down. I'm like, thank you! Just yeah. kick doors down! Mm -hmm. It's so good. Like, I love that bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they try to get across the board. Ron, unfortunately, gets hit by real set debris and gets knocked out. Yeah. Rupert Grint's now dead. Because they cut out the potions, <laughs> Hermione just stays with him and says her line about, you're a great wizard, Harry. Yep. Um, and Harry goes into the final room where dun dun dun, Quirrell! Who da, would have da, da. thought it? Um, ba basically all the same stuff plays out. It's the same as in the book until Harry murders a dude. Yeah, just straight up kills a bitch. Wow, film, you really changed that so that Harry was an 11-year-old murderer, didn't you? So it, to explain the change, because I only realised it in the last couple of years, in the book, Harry grabs Quirrell's arm in self-defence and then also grabs his face to try to get him out of the way of strangling him. Harry does not think, wow, I have death hands. Let me shove them <laughs> he on He literally, like, stares at his death hands and then is like... <laughs> Right, gonna stroke this fella's face. And it's gonna not, burn it off. And it's not like in the books where Harry doesn't think this will kill Quirrell. Like, in the books, it's just blistering Quirrell and Quirrell's in pain. So Harry's like, yes, let me cause him pain. Yeah. In the films, Harry's like, wow, I touched his hand and it's fallen off. Let's touch his face. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow, Harry. And then there's, like, the super weird moment after, like, Quirrell, like, disintegrates. <laughs> and then, like, his soul, like, rushes out and, like, rushes through Harry. And it's like... That just wasn't necessarily... Like, and I don't know if they've done that 
because it looks cool or if they were trying to imply some sort of like possession. I think they wanted to make it very clear because it's only explained through words in the book and I think they wanted to make it clear visually that Voldemort, although Quirrell is dead, Voldemort is alive. Yeah. So they wanted to have his soul leave him and then they were like, what will make this more dramatic? Have him run into Harry for no particular reason. Yeah. But I mean, it could be quite interesting. I think the fact that you see the soul then kind of like go away is a shame because if it just went through Harry, that's quite interesting. I mean, it's an addition from the book, but considering that you then go into the next film mm. where someone is murdering, well, petrifying people yeah. and Harry's hearing creepy voices, it would be quite cool if you were like, shit, but at the end of the last film, the soul rushed into him. Like, is he... Is, is he... he doing it? Yeah, it's a good yeah. point. It's a good but point. it kind of ruined because you just see the soul like, just like, no power there. Yeah. Like just yeah. yeah. So then we move into the hospital wing scene, which is severely cut shorter. Harry doesn't ask any of the questions he's meant to. And mm -hmm. then we skip forward to one of the cutest, most awkward scenes ever, where Harry walks up to Hermione and Ron on the staircase and they kind of do this dramatic turn and Harry's like, Alright, Ron. And Ron's like, Alright. And uh. Harry goes, Alright, Hermione, and she goes, Never better. It's Ugh. so vomit-worthy, cheesy, and I literally love it with all my heart. Because it's yeah. so... Christopher Columbus, the director, clearly wants to make this happy American family film. And it does have points where I'm like, nobody talks like that. Yeah. But he's known for his lovely family films. And it really comes across in this bit where they're like, I'm alright, how are you? I'm never and better. And then they started tap dancing and singing off yeah. into the sunset. Well, then you they got in the flying car from Greece and just... Yeah. And then you basically <laughs> have the sunset scene where we go into the Great Hall... The, we work out Gryffindor has won. Yeah. They change the line so that Neville's achievement is braver than standing up to your enemies, which is a nice I line think it's change. True. Yeah, it's true. And then it ends with them all throwing their hats in the air, which Yay. they should have done later on in the films. I love the hat throwing. Yeah, but I love Neil's joke because at the start of the film we were like, oh, but they wear hats and the hats are like after this film are kind of never seen again. And then Neil, when we watched this, was like, well, this is where the hats go, because they chuck them up and then they just don't come back down. Yeah, it's like slow motion falling. No, they do the hat throwing one more time next film. They oh, really go overboard okay. with that hat throwing thing. Yeah, I like to think that at one point they just threw them and they never came back <laughs> and they were like, well, that's the end of hats at Hogwarts. Yeah, that's the end of that. Um, but actually, no, we finish off with Harry waving goodbye to Hagrid at the yeah. train. And it's all emotional. So emotional, so, so nice. A, it's such a cheesy, lovely it's film. It's such a good film. Like it's it, such a feel-good film. Yeah, like it really is like any time I'm remotely sad yeah. or stressed yeah. or perplexed, like any remotely negative like emotion, and I'm like, right, better put the first Harry Potter film on yeah. then. Like it's like, you know, why deal and process your emotions, emotions when you can just stick Philosopher's Stone on? Yeah, or also acceptable is um, Shrek. I was going to say the second film, but yeah, Shrek. Shrek <laughs> is very similar. <laughs> well, again, in the troll scene, it was, it was like, get out of my swamp. Things. Right, let's talk about cast. Yeah, we talk about the children first, the little yeah. children? It's like they did well finding the actors that they did for what the actors turned into, but my god, they can't act in this film. Like, that's the glaringly bad, terrible thing with this yeah. film. You Dan Rad literally just delivers lines, <laughs> and he's really good at, like, inflecting emotion into, like, 
how he's saying the lines, and then his face is just still. Yeah. Luckily, <laughs> their their different non-abilities to act reflect well on their characters. So Harry just looks like still faced about everything, which kind of works for Harry because yeah. like you're meant to put yourself on Harry, like he's meant to be quite a blank character. Hermione's version of not acting is over enunciating every she, word. Yeah, she just goes so posh. It's like, like they were like, we don't Yeah. And obviously she turns into a great actress later on, but it's like they literally cast her like we don't really care that she can't act because she is Hermione, so she doesn't need to be able That's to. That's the thing, the overacting almost works for this overzealous, very intelligent little girl. Like, it works for that character. Yeah. Rupert Grint is by far and wide the best out of the three of them. Yeah. Um, again, like, they were, they were fully focusing on, on all the funny stuff he could do, which he could do really well. Yeah. Um, Especially at that age. Yeah. Like, I don't think he would have done any... I mean, there's not much of a need for hard-hitting stuff, aside from the bit when he's like, I'm gonna sacrifice myself. Which he acted really well. Yeah. I love the bit where he was like, I'm gonna be a knight, and then does this little head move. For yeah. Me. It's so cute. So cute. Um, Looks-wise, they got the looks pretty good. Like, Ron... Like, I would always rather they go for acting talent over looks. Yeah. One of my biggest bugbears is they kept trying to make Hermione's hair out of Emma Watson's real hair rather than just making her a custom wig. Yeah. Like, it really annoys me. Like, because in this film they did quite well. It looks good. But by three films in, they're like, nah, let's just make her have curly, sleek hair. And I'm like, you're losing one of the most essential parts of her character. Yeah. She's also way too pretty. Yeah. Like... Like, she doesn't have the teeth. I st like, the hair is better in the earlier films. It's still not, like, messy enough. It's they have just kind of crimped it and backcombed it a bit, where it's supposed to be, like, curly, messy, tangly. Yeah, like, big um, hair. I would just yeah. rather they made a, a wig for her. Because then yeah. also, like, Emma Watson wouldn't have been under the restriction to constantly have to wear her hair a certain way, which she said annoyed her. Yeah. They could have just made her a wig. Yeah. Um. So, and she's just... Like, it's not their fault. I would rather they chose a good actress for the films, which they did. Yeah. But she's too pretty. Yeah. And, like, because she's meant to be this very... I just kind of describe her as normal looking. Like, mm. she's meant to be very relatable for, like, most girls. She's just normal looking. The bit in the fourth film where she comes down the stairs, she's made an effort to make herself look beautiful. Yeah. And that's a very important part of her character. But in the films, because she's already so beautiful, you're it, just like... It loses any impact. It loses all impact. And, like, she's more beautiful than, like, Fleur in the films, and you're just kind of like, okay, fine. Yeah, like, I, I really don't think Fleur... Like, we're really skipping ahead. I know, but... Uh, yeah, Fleur is normal, unfortunately. Considering she's supposed to be a Vila. Yeah. It's difficult. But, um, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Matt Lewis, who plays Neville. Fantastic Absolutely casting choice. Fantastic. Outstanding casting choice. Tom Felton, Draco. Outstanding casting yeah, choice. Well done for brilliant. finding these small children. Yeah. Like, really well done. They almost mm. got... They got the background characters, I think, better than they got maybe the main ones. Yeah. Like, ha Harry is like... And, like I feel bad. Okay. Like uh, I love Dan Rad. Yeah. And I, I think... Not so much, like, he does get better during the Harry Potter films. I don't think he ever reaches his full potential. No. Obviously, he had a lot of issues later on, which, yeah. like, you would. Um, but I think now he is an absolutely fantastic actor. I love what he's been in so much. Mm. Um, Hannah, you do need to watch Horns, I please. Do. I you, will. I can okay. guarantee you will love it. Okay, I will. Um, yeah, I think he's a fantastic actor, but... And I do love him as Harry. Like, this isn't not me saying anyone else should have played him. I can't imagine anyone else playing him. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah, exactly. But he does not have green eyes. Yeah, and, and they, the thing is, 
Okay, the green eye thing. Let's go into that. They tried to put contact lenses on the kid and he was allergic to yeah. them. Absolutely fair enough. So they went to Joe and said, look, this is such an important part of your books, but Dan cannot wear contact lenses. We do not want to CGI him with green eyes because it will distract from the film. Can we leave him with blue? And she said, yes, you can, as long as it matches whoever you cast the mother's eyes. Yeah. That is what she said. And then in the eighth film, in the flashback sequence, the Lily child has dark brown eyes. During a flashback that literally has an intro of, you have your mother's eyes. Yeah. How did you mess up? Because I forgave them keeping Dan, Daniel yeah. Radcliffe's eyes blue. I understood, like, green eyes aren't that common. He couldn't wear contact lenses. That is fine. Mm -hmm. But then you should go above and beyond to make the effort that Lily has the exact same colour yeah, eyes. Yeah, give that child contact lenses. Yeah, could that child not wear contact lenses? And if she couldn't, it was only a two minute part, find another child. Exactly. Oh my God. I've never been so annoyed by such a lazy choice they made. It's so lazy. Yeah. Yeah, so he doesn't have the right eyes, but I will forgive that. It's like, fine. His yeah. hair needs to be messier. It, this is what I was going like, to say. Like, what's hair? It looks so smooth, Harry. Yeah, like, they just make absolutely no attempt to mess up his hair. The thing is, what I never understood is he's meant to have messy hair. Boys' hair when it's straight, like, white boys' hair when it's straight would never be messy. So I'm led to believe that Harry's hair, therefore, must have been kind of curly or frizzy of some in some way. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I d have you? Do you? How many like boys do you know with straight hair that's messy? He must have had, because so then I assume he has like curly hair. Yeah, which would have been nice. Yeah, but they didn't find an actor with curly hair. Um, and Ron is meant enough. to be a hell of a lot taller and skinnier and more freckled, but, but it works. Yeah, time. like Rupert Grin is just. You couldn't change him. No, you couldn't. Fantastic. Um, let's move. So that's most of the children done. Most of the main children. Let's move on to the fantastic all-star British cast that is the rest of the characters. Yeah. I love that by the end of book eight, they were like, have we found every British actor to act in these films? No, we missed out Jude Law. It's fine. We'll put him in Fantastic Beasts. Yeah. Great. We've done all I the like, British actors. Yeah, I like to think the entire reason why they did Fantastic Beasts where they were like, oh. We missed out that there's, one British Yeah, actor. there's like five British actors we didn't squeeze in. We should really make more films. Yeah, because I believe... <laughs> well, I believe that Eddie Redmayne wanted to play Bill. Oh, really? But wasn't free at the time. Oh. So they got a thingy... They got a thingy Gleason to do it. Oh, who I love. Oh, I love him. Such Have a good choice. Have you seen um, Ex Machina? Yes. Oh, so, so good. good. Such a good film. Oh, and then I think Eddie Redmayne therefore wanted to just have a cameo as Charlie. And they were like, he's not really in the film. And he was like, oh, all right. Oh, well, but it paid off. Yeah, it did pay off. Yeah. Um, Could you imagine if they'd given him a cameo and then we're like, shit, we really can't cast him as new. No, movies. they could have done. It would have been fine. <laughs> um, yeah. Every... And it's just been like, you look familiar. Okay, well, no, because it's back in time. But what's, what's amazing is how high class British actors they got for what is essentially, at this point, a kid's film that they're not sure how well it's going to do. So what I can only believe is all these different actors, children and grandchildren were like, play the part. You have to yeah. play the part. I actually know that Richard Harris, who plays Dumbledore, said, no, I don't want to do it. I'm too old. It's too big a deal. This is going to be like seven films. I don't want to do it and his granddaughter said I'll never speak to you again if you don't do it so he did it and then he died so what does that granddaughter feel like now yeah she should feel bad the films didn't kill him it's fine um so let's talk about Richard Harris's version of Dumbledore 
I, yeah, like, I don't mind it. I think it works for the first two, two films, films, but it would not have worked going forward. Yeah, I mean, well, I and maybe... Know. I don't know enough yeah, about his acting. That's the thing. Maybe he did have more range to him. It doesn't seem like it from the first two, but then also, like... He's it, a great it, actor, so we yeah. don't know. He probably could have played the darker like, side of Dumbledore Yeah, there well. was just no, not much need for it in the first two, so it really, like, it is up in the air. Like, he could have been better than... What's the dude that replaced him? Oh, I don't like him. Um, Awful guy. Michael Gambon. Michael, yeah, he could have been far we'll better. We'll talk all about that in the third film. Yeah. The oh. only thing I'd say which annoyed me about Richard Harrison's interpretation, which is to do with his age, so it's not his fault, is Dumbledore's meant to be, looks like an old man, but is very, like, sprightly and, like, jumps off desks onto the floor. Obviously, the actor couldn't do that, and that's fine, but mm. it does leave you feeling like Dumbledore is quite, like, frail and old. Yeah. Um... You could never picture Richard Harris like battling it out with no, Voldemort. No, no. But he works for the first two films, and I'm really glad he did those first two films. Let's try to go in chronological order. So now we have who appears first: Maggie Smith and Robbie Coltrane. Fantastic choices. Yeah. Like I know that when they were doing the casting, they said to J.K. Rowling, "Do you have anyone in mind in particular?" And she was like, "No, you're pretty much free to make your own interpretations. But if I want you to get Robbie Coltrane to play Hagrid, oh really? Yeah." Yeah, he she is She was perfect. like, everyone's fine. Like, it's your guys' interpretations. You know better than me, but I want Robbie Coltrane for Hagrid. Yeah. I don't know how she's all right with that. If I ever wrote something that was becoming a film, I'd be like, here are the people you're casting. No, but you have to trust in people that are more intelligent in that speciality than you. Yeah, but I would just be very like... I, mean, I know, I, I know. People. But Robbie Coltrane it's... is such the perfect yeah. Hagrid. Dear God, he's yeah. so good. Like, so good. Yeah. So good. It's like the eternal question, like, if you were to have a film about your life, who would play you? That's, yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. It is. We're a weird age, I feel like. Yeah, that's the thing. I'm like, I don't know actors this age. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Um, <laughs> let's move on to Maggie Smith. Yeah, fantastic. What a stellar casting choice. Oh, just amazing. Like, she just has the perfect, like, sternness and then just... Just a hint also, of fun. Yeah, like, the bit in the... I, I feel like when we're talking about casting, it's all right to talk about the later films because we're oh, not yeah. going to want to revisit the casting. We'll revisit new casting choices. Exactly, exactly. Um, so, like, the bit in the seventh film when she's like, I've always wanted to use that spell. <laughs> oh, so just fantastic. Good. And she does this, like, facial acting, which is just amazing. Yeah. Where, like, the bit where she smiles at Harry when he unwraps the broom. Yeah. And you just know she's not this really stern character. Like, I've heard some people be like, oh, she was too old for the role. No, you're all wrong. She's perfect. Perfect. No yeah. one can offend Maggie Smith. Yeah, like, absolutely amazing choice. Just gets all the different sides to McGonagall. So well. Love her. Absolutely love perfect. Her. Uh, let's talk about Richard Griffiths and Fiona Shaw. Who are they? Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Dursley. Um, great choices. Yeah, Such like, great choices. The perfect beady eyes on Vernon. Yes. Yeah, yeah, they just got the, like, I know the look was less cartoonish, but they just got it so well. The actors were so good. Like, I'm just amazed at the adult actors they got. They are yeah. all so good. Like, so good. so good. It's unbelievable. And unfortunately, what that does is really shows up how bad the kids' acting is, because they're acting against some of the most well-renowned actors yeah. in history. Mm -hmm. And these kids are just like, I haven't any money! <laughs> That that was the script. Though. It was the script. Yeah. Um, um, and now, Alan Rickman. Oh, like genuinely, they could have looked for fifty years and not found anyone better. Like no. just absolutely incredible. The one complaint, 
<gasps> it's because of their choice. Now, you were complaining the parents look too old. Do you know why they had to make that choice? Because of Because of Alan Rickman. Yeah. Yeah. So they found Alan Rickman for Snape. What that meant is that Snape was 15 years older than he's meant to be in the books, so they upped the parents' age as well. Obviously, otherwise it wouldn't have made yeah. sense. Yeah, I Which means the bad. parents are like 10 to 15 years... Harry's parents are 10 to 15 years older, which messes up the timeline a bit, but it does not matter for how perfect Adam Rickman is in that bloody role. Just so perfect. Love him so much. I was more upset over Alan Rickman's death than I was David Bowie, and I was surprised at that at the time. I didn't realise... I think because you just didn't expect him to die when he did. No, not at all. Um, And I wish they'd given him more time in the films, because there's so much more character they could have gone into, and they cut his character quite short in the films, which is just such a shame, because... He just understood Snape so well. I'm also led to believe from reading stuff that Alan Rickman was one of the only people to know, uh, and was the only person to know on the film set about Snape being in love with Lily. Yeah. Like he's, because J.K. Rowling told him so he could understand his character better. Yeah. Which is amazing. Yeah. No, just, he's absolutely, absolutely incredible. And I'm going to make Hannah watch Die Hard. Because she's, she's never watched it. So we might do some bonus Patreon content. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. because she needs to watch his his kind of birth as an actor. Yeah. So that's all the main characters and actors. Obviously, the show um, introduces loads. No, who nope. have I missed out? Quirrell. <gasps> oh, yeah. Quirrell, whitewashing Quirrell. <laughs> it's just... Did you imagine him as, like, darker-skinned in the books then? So Did I you was... imagine him as, like, Indian? I was, like, too young to really... I don't I remember. On, yeah. But I remember always being incredibly confused buy it obviously like reading that he has a turban and then seeing the film and you're just like but like even as like a very young child I was like but he's a white guy in a turban that I mean really the turban is there to hide Voldemort's face it's not there for any religion or but it would look like there are so many other ways that you could have hidden the face that's the thing that it just looks suspicious and weird as a turban his choice to wear a turban would make a lot more sense if he was like an actor And, like, from a background that of religions that wear turbans. Yeah, it would make so much more sense. I found it really, really confusing as a child. I was like, why would no one question this? Yeah. That he just suddenly starts wearing a turban when it's, it's not a religious thing. I think it's explained in the books that a prince who he saved from a monster gave it to him. Yeah, but then, like, he could still be cast in the film, considering how not diverse Yeah, the, the first film are, was very whitewashy. It's such an opportunity. To cast, like, a different and, and they just cast. Yeah, they just cast one way and I just just it like it works because it works perfectly for the role if they had cast like a darker skinned actor I found it incredibly confusing as a child and now I find it very problematic I don't think I don't think I thought about it at all when I was a child and I just think as an adult it's a shame like there's so many points where they could have cast a more diverse cast and I'm just like it's just a shame you didn't because Mm. the thing about JK Rowling's text is it leaves it completely up to interpretation I don't want to hear things about how Hermione couldn't have been black because Apart from Ron, because he's ginger, none of the character's skin tone is ever explained. And that's what I love about the books, because people of different skin colours and backgrounds can read it and interpret the characters in their own way. Yeah. And, like, make them look like what they think they should look like in their mm-hmm. heads. Therefore, the films had a chance to make it a really diverse cast yeah. and didn't take that opportunity. Yeah, and realistically, both Harry and Hermione make a lot of sense. 
as being like characters of color yeah. or however you would phrase that. 100%. They and I think that adds to their roles as well. Oh, that adds definitely. to their characters. Black Hermione for me is like now canon. I'm so happy with Black Hermione yeah. as an interpretation. It explains actually quite a lot about her character. Mm-hmm. Possibly more than her as a white character, so like I am so happy with Black Hermione. Yeah. I'm all for it. And I'd be fine with Harry being like a person of color as well. It doesn't make sense for Ron, obviously. Um, and there's other characters like Dumbledore in my head is always going to be a white man. Like yeah. that's just Dumbledore. But yeah, it's just a shame the films didn't diversify more. It is, definitely. Because, you know, you can say, oh, but they've got loads of black actors in there. Loads of the kids are black. Yeah, but they're standing in the background not saying any lines. Exactly. You can't shove black actors in there, not give them any lines and say you're yeah. diverse. If anyone hasn't seen it, please um, look on YouTube at mm. the supercut of every single line that non-white characters have. Yeah, it's basically in- two minutes of Lee Jordan doing commentary and then not much else. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. So shall we move on to cinematography? Yes. Yeah, so this film is a funny one. It's very basic cinematography wise like if you look at the leap they made with Prisoner of Azkaban and then you compare it to this film I think it's because it's a Chris Columbus film it's very classic Hollywood it's Mm. like a scene happens a scene happens we're not going to do anything special with any of this um so in that regard it's not like and it kind of worked for that first film it really worked for the style of the first film but I am glad they didn't keep Chris Columbus for all like seven or eight, because it yeah. really wouldn't have worked for the later films. Yeah, I agree. Um, let's think. Special effects. Bad. Uh, yeah, really poor. Really poor. The bit when the letter flies through the <laughs> chimney at the camera, and it's just... <laughs> Looks like it's on a string, awful. which it was. Um, yeah. The, and the just... Quidditch scene, so bad. But what's quite a testament to these films is they were making these films during the, e- the the biggest evolution of special effects that we'll probably ever see. Because mm. there is a point in special effects where you can't get much better. Um, and at the moment, we're having a swing back towards practical effects because we can't make our special effects much better. These films were made during the revolution of special effects. Like, we start off with really bad and we basically end the films with Avatar levels. Yeah. Like, and we end it when the Avatar came out. And watching that progression is absolutely fascinating. You're basically watching the history of special effects in 10 years. Yeah. It's very clever, but what that means is this film is just shit at special effects. That troll looks so bad. Mm-hmm. So bad. But yeah. what looks great, and like Fluffy looks terrible as well, but what looks great is what they chose to make out of practical effects. Yeah. So, for example, the chess scene. All the mm. explosions are practical effects, not special. They really had like explosives and things blowing up on set, which makes the chess scene look amazing. Yeah. And would have been bad with fake explosions everywhere. Yeah. 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 I think the biggest thing that makes this film, no question, is music. A hundred percent. I was like waiting to talk about the music. Yeah. Like just absolutely fantastic. What's iconic score. Yeah. And like, it's, it's not even, you know, when I say I feel sad and I watch the film, like it's for the music. Like really I could just put the soundtrack on because it just instantly makes me feel at home. Yeah, a hundred percent. And like the one thing which if they're going to make it into like a Netflix show one day, the one thing that I could not live without, which I have to get the rights for is the music. Yeah. Because it's so good and it's so iconic and it's so Harry Potter. Like so Harry Potter. Yeah. Like John Williams was an absolute genius. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. And like it, it makes you so emotional now, like in the Fantastic Beasts when they go back to Hogwarts and the music and you're just like, Aah! Yeah, and they like put in bits of the score into the new score and I'm just like, oh my heart. Yeah. It's the score, oh dear God, it's just, it's so amazing. And yeah. I'm so glad that 
they just did that. I think we talked about watching it, the bit with the troll and they're in the bathroom and there's just like an insane amount of lightning going on and you're like, you're <laughs> in a bathroom. bathroom. Where's like, the lightning coming from? Yeah, there's a window. It's a very small window, but also like that's in the shot and the lightning's coming, the flashing's kind of coming from like behind the camera. And you're just like, you're in a bathroom. There's not many windows. Even if there is windows, you really don't get a room full up of lightning like that no it's just weird like just, just rewatch that dramatic. scene it's just like like constant lightning. lightning and you're like you're indoors yeah um <laughs> oh let's talk about like costumes and sets and stuff like that um the costumes are great so yeah. good so good very old-fashioned like very like 1900s mm. to 1950s but it works for the style of this film yeah um i don't love the hats i like the adult hats but the weird like brimless things that the kids have on yeah i, I know like. but actually like it's book accurate like cutting out the hats was a move away from the books but those children look ridiculous in those hats so don't don't make them wear them yeah um but the robes look really good the sets are amazing mm -hmm. like really good so most of this film was done actually not with sets it was done with real locations um which is why it changes so much in film three because they then did almost everything with sets yeah um but it was filmed all up and down the country it was filmed in london it was filmed in oxford it was filmed in durham bath um all up and down the country which really like makes you feel like his hogwarts is a historical mm -hmm. real old castle yeah so it was a good choice for these films but i understand why they had to move away from it yeah um because it would have just been like ridiculously hard to carry on doing yeah final thoughts on the film charlie I just love it. I just love it. It's like my Christmas film. That's the thing. I know I'm going to watch it again in the next month because we're leading up to Christmas. And for me, it's such a Christmas film. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. And like, if you don't live in Britain, you don't know how often these films are shown on telly at this time of year. It's oh, kind of ridiculous. You turn constantly. on ITV any weekend and you're just like, oh, Harry Potter's on. Yeah. Heaven. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Yeah. Chilling out after Christmas, like those days after Christmas where you're so full of mm -hmm. all your food and you're just stuffing a bit more food down your mouth and watching Harry Potter. Yeah. Love it. That is that is perfect. Right, well that was our first film episode. That was fun. Yeah, I, I really liked enjoyed it. it. I liked yeah. it. We'd love to do some sort of like live reaction to the film thing, but that's almost impossible to do because yeah. copyright, we'd be and recording for two and a half hours. Yeah. Like it wouldn't make sense, but some yeah. of our reactions are funny. Yeah, like maybe we could try filming it, but then it's just like when it's two hours, it could be such a nightmare to edit. And even if we did like just small clips yeah. as like Patreon content. Yeah, we could try, but it's like editing yeah. all the bits where we're just sitting there like, yeah. Oh. Let us know if that's something that you want to see. Yeah. Um, and if not, we will see you in our next episode, which will probably be starting <gasps> Chamber of Secrets. So and we're us... so excited. Yeah, we're going to have some special guests. Yeah. So now we've basically done the first book and the first film let us know your thoughts on how we're kind of structuring all this and if there's anything you want us to like change moving forwards anything which you're like you could try this with the next book let us know because now it's a really good opportunity to tell us and we Yay. can you know work and change things for the books going forward awesome yeah i'm excited for chamber of secrets Thank you for listening to this episode of Goblet of Wine. Remember, you can keep up with us on Twitter at Goblet of Wine Pod and Instagram at Goblet of Wine Podcast. You can also leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Thank you to our lovely Patreon producer, Sandra, for her help supporting this podcast. If you'd like to support us and gain access to bonus content and rewards like choosing our alcohol, behind the scenes content and bonus episodes, check us out on our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Goblet of Wine. 
Thanks again for listening and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye! Bye.